let's consider a few more suggestions from the Word of God for us to enjoy the happy, joyful existence that He intends for His children. Here's an easy one. Easy to tell you about. Harder to put into practice. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This 24 or more page outline will be available. It's on the website now. 90% complete. But it will be there for you to go through and look and see what you might be cheating on in your life that's costing you some of your joy. 1 Timothy 6.6 is such a wonderfully short, powerful lesson for successful living. But godliness with contentment is great gain. The word but is there as an inspired disjunctive, one of my favorite words in the Bible, to set it in opposition to what other Christians teach. And that's found in verses 3 through 5. And Paul ridicules these other teachers by saying that they define life as gain is godliness. When the apostle, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that's getting the cart before the horse. When you say that gain is godliness, it's godliness that's great gain if that godliness is attached to contentment. And then there are several verses that run on after this saying that we shouldn't have the the love of money is the root of all evil and those that desire to be rich, you know, are begging for a great deal of trouble in their lives. Contentment with what you have is a fabulous servant to joy and success. Contentment is a great servant to your joy. Covetousness is a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's commandment number ten. And it is lose, lose. When you covet something that you don't have, you cost yourself the joy of what you do have, and you frustrate yourself by desiring something you can't have. It's lose, lose. And yet, it's in the Ten Commandments because it is so common to our natural heart to want what we don't have. You lose joy in the things you have for the pain of wanting what you don't have. It's a terrible thing. Contentment is a wonderful thing to help you be joyful. Or you can enjoy the things you have and have no pain by wanting the impossible. Because that's what covetousness is. It's wanting the impossible. Change your goals of what you want in your life. Be content with the things you already have. A covetous man, though rich, is poor in his mind, while the content man, though poor, is rich in his. And how do you make that difference between poverty and riches? A choice. A choice to be content. Paul said, I have learned. So it's learned behavior. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Those of you that moved to South Carolina, remember that. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. But that's the state of life as well. And we want to be content with it. Think about Ahab. Remember, he was the king of Israel. But Naboth's vineyard drove him crazy. 
Think about Amnon, a son of King David. He could have had anyone. He lusted after his sister and it made him sick. He was so vexed with his lustful covetousness and how it ruined both men's lives. They could have been so happy. Are you content? Are you content about your body? Or do you resent the Lord for your body? Your looks, your job, your house, your money, your spouse, your car, your toys. Are you content with all those things? You can choose to be happy and have a successful life by the choice, this is what God gave me, and seeing all the good features of the things you already have. Because the rest of us could help you if you told us that you're one of the covetous ones in the church. We'll list the things in your life and tell you about their desirable features. You're blinded to them because of covetousness. Sin's a liar. Sin's a deceiver. Do not trust those thoughts. They're lying to you. Such a simple choice. Look at Ecclesiastes 6 before we leave this point. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Contentment with what you have is a fabulous servant to being joyful. Ecclesiastes 6. All the late, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 6, 7. Here's the preacher. That's his title in the Bible, Solomon. In Ecclesiastes 12, we're told that. All the labor of man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. It is better for you to look at what you have and see all the good features about it, whether it be your body, your looks, your wife, your your house, your car, and enjoy those features and enjoy those things rather than the wandering of the desire to the things that you don't have. Solomon saw that, that it was vexation to the human spirit and vanity of life. Let's move to another point. We've only got about 75 to go, but we've only got limited time. Think about this. God gave you priorities. We've had sermons on God's priorities before, so I'm just going to mention a few. Look at Proverbs 15 again. That's where we started this morning at Proverbs 15. But let's look at a couple different verses. God has given us priorities. The word better. You know, if, if you really want to, if you really want to simplify the Bible down and think about what's easy to learn from the Bible, just look for the word better. Look for the word best. But when, when, when you have the word better, that's a comparative word, meaning there's two things. The Lord's telling you which one of them is better than the other. That's learning right there. Because ordinarily, just from a natural existence, we're going to think they're equal or maybe have them in the reverse order. But the Lord tells us. And so if you keep His order, His priorities in your life, it will lead to a fulfilled, satisfying life. Look at verse 16. We started this morning with verse 15, but now let's look at 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. The trouble is set in distinction to the fear of the Lord. So there's a godly man living a virtuous life 
and there's an ungodly man living a sinful carnal existence. And it says, better is little if you're living a godly existence than having treasure, but you're living a carnal Christian life. Believe it. Solomon wrote it. A wise, rich man. He said it'd be better to be poor. Better to have just a little. And to be living a godly life. A godly life can give you the joy of the Holy Spirit inside you when He's not grieved or quenched that far exceeds any external advantages you might have by wealth. They can't even come close to compensating for the guilt, the shame, the grief, the trouble that arises from living a carnal Christian existence. So we have a verse like this. There's many of them. If you go to our website and type in priorities, you'll get an outline that has many dozens of comparisons like this in the Bible. Verse 17. Better. Oh, I like it. I like it when the Lord makes it so simple. Better is a dinner of herbs. There's that salad that I denigrate from time to time. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. So instead of worrying so much about how much you're making or how fancy the menu is at a restaurant, what kind of love are you going to have at the table? This Let me combine a couple of points here. I mentioned recently in the series on marriage how that when you go into a restaurant and you see a couple really looking at each other across the table with bedroom-type eyes, and they're holding hands, and they came in with their arms around each other, and they, they kissed each other maybe in the parking lot, and you got to see that. What do we presume? They're committing adultery. Because husbands and wives don't treat each other that way. You know, husbands and wives are sitting there texting away, man. Let's just text everybody else instead of talking to each other. But look at the, look at the wisdom. Believe this. Who had the best fatted oxen or stalled ox? Solomon. Solomon would have known all about filet mignon of the best magnitude. The porterhouses with the best marbling stalled ox. He knew all about it. That's why it's called a stalled ox. You don't want some range-fed cow that's got no fat on it. You want it locked up in a cage where it can't move, where it gets fat because you're force-feeding it every day. And you get all your meat marbled, so when you pull that ribeye, it's got flavor unbelievable. He knew that. But he said, it'd be better to have some little salad. And he is making, he's ridiculing salads, if you can tell by the text. <laughs> he's not exalting salads. He's saying, if you are stuck with a salad, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. And isn't that the truth? Is this in the Bible? Is this a Bible verse? He wants you to maximize life. How do you maximize it? Instead of spending your time online trying to find a a very luxurious menu, get on your knees, confess your bitterness towards your spouse, and love them. I mean, dote on them and pamper them, stroke them and play with her hair, and play with her hand, And play footsies under the table. And it'll be far better than looking for that fancy menu and having bitterness between the two of you. 
Have I ever wasted a meal? Have I ever wasted ten? Your pastor's a scoundrel. Chapter 17. Along the same lines. Look at verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith. No strife, trouble, fighting, or war, bitterness. Than a house full of sacrifices with strife. What is a house full of sacrifices? That means you've, you've slain some oxen, you've slain, slain some sheep for the Lord, and they've given you the parts back that you could take home and eat with your family. So your, your house is loaded with what were you supposed to give the Lord from your flocks and herds? The worst? The, the average or the best? You have the best food sitting in your house right now, ready to be eaten. Solomon said, no, a dry morsel. Crackers. Have a cracker. Can a cracker be fun when there's no strife or trouble and it's just a bunch of, it's peace between a man and his wife or a family? Praise the Lord. This is the wisdom of God's Word. People want to know what does Proverbs teach? I'm telling you what Proverbs teaches. Look at chapter 19. And we've got to get off this point. There's, there's many more references here that you can look at later. Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. That's a priority for your life. What tends toward life? I mean, an abundant life, a happy life, a joyful life. What tends toward producing that? The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Keeping His commandments and loving Him. And He'll he'll make all the other things happen. Because He loves those that fear the Lord. He that hath it shall abide satisfied. Look at this verse. I do not like hurrying through the word of God. What tends to life, what will make you satisfied, and what will keep evil away from your door? Fearing the Lord. Are those three good things that you want in your life? Then fear the Lord. Those priorities are are given throughout the Bible. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Some of you will know that by its reference. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, what a better thing to do with our mouth than some of the things that come out of it, is to give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. People ask, how do I know God's will for my life? Read 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is God's will for your life. Are there other things that are God's will for your life? Yes. But this is God's will for your life. In everything, give thanks. I recently had a lover of ice cream and staying with us. Very recently. And so I went and did something that I don't ever do. And I went to the grocery store. And there's... There's 20 freezers, 36 inches wide, 60 inches high. And you open the door and I say, forget it. Sherry, you make a pick. <laughs> How do you pick? In everything, give thanks. I've blessed God so much. You've heard me over the years. Blessing God for all these little things He gives us. They had flavors I couldn't imagine you could stick in ice cream. It was, it, but it's part of God's blessing. No, Never have a people existed that should be giving thanks in everything like us. And you know, they're all labeled. All ice cream was labeled for a half cup serving. 
And I wanted to honor my guest. So you grab each one, you look at it, and, and you see how many calories per half cup. Do you want low or high? Oh, you want high. Put that thing back in there. They can call that Publix premier brand if they want to. Ben and Jerry's knows how to make ice cream. Twice the calories for the same amount. You know, and it's right there. That's a blessing to have it. It's like they had a neon sign saying, buy this, buy this, if you want to have the best ice cream. Brethren, when we walk out of this room, when we, look, when we sit in this room, when we think about all that we have, in everything we should be giving thanks. Amen. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you want to know what was happening at Thessalonica? They were being persecuted. And in everything they were to give thanks. Ephesians 5 says that men are prone to filthiness out of this thing. Filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. Filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. How should we rather use it? It says, but we should rather use our mouth giving thanks. Those things are not convenient. They get us into trouble. They're sins in the sight of God. And God is sending Jesus Christ to judge the earth for those three things. That's Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. This is the will of God. And it leads to a happy, satisfied, excited, contented life. Now, I was irritated because I couldn't choose from the 200 options or some huge number. But I was thankful that I could take quite an array home. What's the smallest ice cream container that they now sell in a grocery store? Do you think it's a half gallon? A quart? A pint? They have this little thing that I would call communion ice cream. (laughs) It's like one spoon. It's so small. Charlie Doring? You know, I grew up when your options in ice cream were vanilla. If you went into the big city, you get vanilla chocolate and strawberry. And if you went to the real big city, they had something called Neapolitan. And you got three in one carton. I went to Charlie's house one night. I'd never heard of this name. Haga. Hagen. I know what it is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, though. Hagen da Swiss, Swiss, Swiss almond. Vanilla, vanilla Swiss almond. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I asked if I could take half of it home <laughs> so I could share it there. And there it was last night. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. The air conditioning that we have. You know, it's one of my suggestions. If you have air, use it. If you're afraid of your electrical bill at the end of a month, don't be afraid of it. Because the Bible warns us that heat is oppressive to happiness. The Bible tells us that. And some everything give thanks. It's a minor point, but it's a point. Instead of the foolish jesting and folly of today's hyenas, let's give thanks. Count your many blessings. Brother Jim, we'll sing it when we leave. We'll sing it. Find that... Uh, f- anyway, you'll find it. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Because He has given us so much. That will lead to you being happy. 
Here's another point. Get enough sleep. And this is serious. Look at Psalm 127 with me. And this is one of the the life-saving verses that God has shown me over the last 40 years. I'm very thankful for this passage of Scripture. I use it every week and many of the days in a week. Get enough sleep. This point is so simple and obvious, but some are yet God-rejectors, and we don't want to be God-rejectors when it comes to this text. How do you reject God by sacrificing sleep? You think that your part in doing things is key, and it isn't. His part is key. What God does is key, not what you do, what God does. Psalm 127, And Lord, I thank Thee before I read these words for You showing them to me many years ago and the salvation they have been to me over decades. I bless and praise Your holy name. Psalm 127, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. If you're building a house, you should give your reasonable best in building it and trust the Lord for the rest. If you go beyond and try to take it upon yourself by getting up too early, you say, well, how do I know? Just be wise about it. I can't tell you what hour you need to quit. I know for me when I should quit. And then it's a gift to God. Because God knows inside me, my insides are saying, you ought to do more. And I tell the Lord, I believe Psalm 127, 1 and 2 so much, I'm giving you the marginal utility that I would get from my effort, I'm giving it to you in faith that you will be able to outdo it. And I've done it for decades. He's been very merciful to me. When you get up too early or stay up too late or eat the bread of sorrows, meaning you're worried and you're anxious about how's it going to turn out, you're, you're going against God. You're putting too much emphasis on you rather than trusting Him. He wants you to go to bed. That is incredible. But it, it makes it's perfectly consistent with the whole Bible. He wants his children to go to bed. Why do we want our children to go to bed? We don't want them to stay up too late. We don't want them to be tired. We don't want them to worry about things. We'll take the worry. God is the same way to us. Memorize these two verses. Every single Saturday night, without exception, for decades, I tell the Lord these verses. I quote them to Him like Moses quoted the Word of God in, in holy reasoning with Him coming out of Egypt before getting to the land of Canaan. And I tell the Lord, You know that I'm a warrior and that I would rather stay up and work harder on what I need to preach tomorrow. It's all yours. I'm in bed. What's my average bedtime? Uh, every other night of the week except Saturday. Around 11. What's my average bedtime on a Saturday? 8. 8. Sometimes 7. That's crazy. No. She's with me. 
So it's not crazy. And it's to tell the, it's to tell the Lord the opposite of what could be true of my life. And that's going to bed at 11 Monday through fr- Sunday through Friday and staying up until midnight or one on Saturday nights to make last preparations. Uh-uh. Hopefully I'm working through the week and then I just turn it over to the Lord and I quit. At six o'clock it is over. I have to use me because I don't know you as well about how you can use these two verses. But these two verses tell you to get enough sleep and turn it over to the Lord. You say, well, if I don't do it, then it's not going to get done. You're wrong. Right. Are you going to try to say that to me in light of these two verses? If I don't do it, it won't get done? Yes, of course, we have a basic... What did I say? Do your reasonable best. Reasonable best. How is reasonable defined? By Psalm 127, verse 2. Right. Do your reasonable best and trust the Lord for the rest. When he multiplies the loaves and fishes, can you feed a lad? Can you feed three lads? Can you, can you feed a score of lads? Can you feed 5,000 men plus their wives and their children and have 12 baskets full left over? Amen. Sleep deprivation clearly causes many mental, emotional, and psychological issues. We use it for torture, for prisoners and criminals, sleep deprivation. Like other issues, there are those who already sleep too much, costing joy by their slothfulness. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you that push the other side of the envelope or in the other ditch. Every single point that I can make, there's going to be two ditches. We want the crown of the road. We don't want to be slothful by sleeping too much, but we don't want to overwork by thinking that it all depends upon us. Tiredness alters your perspective, your energy, your productivity, your spirit, your enthusiasm for life. Women generally require more sleep, so husbands, wise husbands will make sure they get enough. You're going to benefit if your wife has enough sleep. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Because that was taught in the Word of God. He giveth his beloved sleep. What happened to Elijah when he didn't get enough? He was suicidal. 1 Kings 19.4 Elijah calls fire down from heaven on an altar that he has soaked and saturated with 12 barrels of water. He's got a moat around this thing. And he calls fire down from heaven and burns it all up. Kills 950 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the groves. He kills them all. And the next day, he's, oh, Lord, just kill me. It's not worth me being alive. Then he took a long nap. The Lord had him take a long nap, got him refreshed, and he was a different man. That happened all in 24 hours, but that will lead us to another point that we're going to come up with. When you have a large success in your life, there will be a letdown after that success is over when you will give in to your lust at a higher level than you will otherwise. It's a breakdown of your resistance in your spirit because you put so much emphasis on this project in your life that when it's over, oh, you, you relax farther than you should. You want to be able to relax and the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it doesn't say to cause you to give up too much in the way of personal self-discipline and temperance. 1 Corinthians 7. Look at this point. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, this is Paul to the church at Corinth, 
they were being persecuted. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. The point here is to simplify your life. Simplify your life for complicating it leads to temptations, depression, and destruction if you make your life too complicated. When life is too complicated, you can easily be overwhelmed and lose your joy of living. Corinth had some unusual circumstances, but Paul did warn very carefully that in these different areas of life that you have to have or you did have, you should rule them in such a way as if you didn't have them. For instance, verse 29, Brethren, they that have wives be as though they had none. A man that is married should, to a certain degree, in this context, for this purpose, for this rule of happiness, act like they didn't have a wife. He wasn't supposed to be totally taken up with her because he was to keep his balance in also loving the Lord and following Him. Though he had a wife, in a certain way, to a point, he should limit himself. And they that weep, if you if you have some sorrow and and negative events in your life, you should be as those that don't weep. Each one of these is trying to find a balance in the middle. Here's a weeper, and here's no one weeping, but this weeper should get to the middle by acting like he's not a weeper. It's not to let anything get a hold of you and become your master. And it goes right down through a whole list of things. They that buy, at the end of verse 30, should be as though they possessed not. Don't let your merchandising and your buying and selling and trading consume your life. They that use this world should be as not abusing it. Don't get it out of hand, for all this world is going to pass away. That's harder to understand than these verses that then follow. Here's the general warning. But I would have you without carefulness. That little sentence there should be underlined in your Bible when you're in this section of 1 Corinthians 7. I would have you without carefulness. I would have you without carefulness. Isn't that a great verse, James? And others. Oh, you're not alone, James. James, you've got a band of brothers in here. Oh yes, we can worry about a lot of things. But I would have you without carefulness. A carefree life is God's plan for us. Right. When we come to Him in prayer, according to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, how does that exhortation to prayer begin? Be for nothing. Be careful for nothing. What did James read to you from Matthew 6? Take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. This little sentence right here is key. I would have you without carefulness. The point I'm wanting to leave with you right now is simplify your life. This general rule, I would have you without carefulness. That's what he meant by verses 29 through 31. And now he's going to explain it, that being unmarried was, a, was an advantage. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And it goes on to then talk about the woman in the same situation. But we want that principle of the first sentence of verse 32. I would have you without carefulness. That's an inspired apostle telling you how to live your life without carefulness. 
without anxiety, without worry, without fear, without anxiousness. A carefree life. Thank you, Lord. In the Word of God. How many children are you going to have and why? That adds care to your life. Do you think that you can replenish the earth yourself? Do you think that God is expecting you to do so? Now, this is a shocker. The great men and women in the Bible didn't have any children. I'd like to know how many children Anna had. How many eggs did she waste? How many ovulations did she waste? You know, we've been through all this before. On a Wednesday night, it's called family planning. It's on the website. But when it says, I would have you to be without carefulness, what is Paul recommending around that sentence that if they could, if they could handle it, they shouldn't do something? What was that? Get married. That's the ultimate form of birth control, is not to get married. Do we know that marriage is good? Yes. Is it better than children? Yes. But they were supposed to forego marriage. This is powerful. It's weighty. I would have you to be without carefulness. Every choice you make is a choice for more or less carefulness. Marrying adds carefulness to your life. You can't attend to the Lord like you would if you were single. You say, well, what do you think about that, Pastor? I think I can do a better job with Sherry. Does that answer your question? Because there's only a few men that were given the gift of a eunuch, like Paul, Jesus, John, Elijah, and so forth. But those are great men in the Bible. We're talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. They didn't even have wives. They forewent marriage in an effort to live without carefulness so that they could attend to the work of the Lord better. Very important principle. I'm trying to show you how far it goes so that I can justify myself by asking, how many children will you have and why? Because every time you have a child, you are seriously adding to your care in life. And that care in life is going to extend over the next 30 years at least for each of those children. Forget 18, forget 16, forget 12, when you're going to start to let them date on their own. Forget anything like that. These manufactured... Some of you are still with me. Think about it. You can complicate your life with schooling choices. Choices about your yard. Choices about your house. Is it a high-maintenance house or a low-maintenance house? Is it high-maintenance property or low? Your job, is it is it easy or light or heavy? Another job, a second job, sports for your kids. How, far, how much are you going to drive around town? Are you going to start a taxi service for your kids to get them to all these different sports? All these choices you make are either less care, more care. Less care, more care. I've got to leave the point. Less care, more care. But I would have you without carefulness. The point being, simplify your life. Simple. One of a hundred points of how to be happy that the Bible teaches. Simplify. So that you can have time to smell the roses. Life is too short to always be rushing or worrying because you have too much going on. Remember from Psalm 34 and verse 8, last Lord's Day, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But if you're too busy to stop and taste, too busy to stop and look, too busy to stop and listen, I appreciated your encouragement. Has God given us sensory overload in 2016? That I share with you, I can't remember what I shared publicly and what I shared privately. Last Saturday evening at the end of devotions with my wife, I just went in and turned on, worthy is the lamb. (laughs) 
I have some good speakers, and blasted it. You know, it's right there. It's right there for this sense. Sherry loves her flowers for this and this. Because the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good in sending Jesus Christ to save us. The Lord is good in converting us. The Lord is good in hundreds of spiritual blessings. The Lord is good in hundreds of natural blessings. But He wants us to taste it and actually experience and lay hold of, consider and ponder anew what the Almighty has already done for us. Taste. Those ice cream flavors that I mentioned. Taste and see. It's just enjoy it. But the Lord gets all the... Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not that Haagen-Dazs is good. It's not that Ben and Jerry are good. Both companies are pagan reprobates. Seriously, so and publicly admitted compared to Bible Christianity. But it's what the Lord has done that we want to be thankful for. Look at Ecclesiastes 9. And this, this, is, this is it. This is the last reference. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Oh, I, I wish that each of you had a clock in your house that would remind you of the passage of time, and that you would think about it when you pass that clock, that it's tick-tock, tick-tock, your life is ticking away. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's not let there be a tick of bitterness in our lives. Let, let there not be a tick of strife in our lives. Because your life is just a long string of tick-tocks and it's all over. Right. We're supposed to redeem the time. Lord, help us. We've already been to this passage this morning, but I'm going to read a, a longer pat, a, a section of it so it's going to surround verse 9. I read verse 9. I'm going to start with verse 4. This is take time to smell the roses. This is, this is the point. Our Father has given us five senses and objects for each one of those senses that brings great delight. Your tongue is a unique thing. It's got salty sections. It's got sweet sections. Your tongue is unique because God has unique flavors waiting for you out there to taste and see that the Lord is good. And yes, I will tell you that I'm using the secondary sense of those words rather than the first, which is to embrace and consider all the good things God has done. To be in a hurry or with financial or other ambitions to miss them is going to deprive you of the joy of life. At my age, to preach these things to you, I have experience backing up the Word of God like I never had when I was a younger man. The Word of God is true. Verse 4, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. If you're still alive, brethren, there's hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I love that verse. It's true. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. They are cut out of all the blessings and treasures and pleasures of life because they're dead. A living dog's better than a dead lion. The dead have no hope at all. The living have hope that there's pleasure just around the corner. 
if we'll take the time to go find it. Go thy way. So here's the, go thy way. Brethren, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy. Drink thy wine with a merry heart. Notice you don't even need the wine to get a merry heart. You drink the wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white. Let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Let's simplify our lives and use every tick-tock that we have to the glory of God, the praise, and giving thanks to his name for all that he's done for us. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Let's make our marriages the best they should. Let's encourage each other and strengthen each other in the Lord. Let's slow down and smell the roses and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's put these things into practice. We can do it. We should do it. We've been blessed more than any other before us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.